Jeff and Sharon prayed for our gospel outreach into our community. You sang of it this morning. Colleen surely just did. I remember our choir director, uh, Ben, uh, mentioning Colleen's name for uh, years in multiple services that she would be saved and hearing her sing of that experience this morning is a it's a great blessing for me for that reason and many other reasons so thank you Colleen and uh, it's good to have your folks here with us again today too and um, God ministered to our hearts through your song and Jesus did indeed pay it all for all of us Amen. and we're all seated, seated here this morning as miracles of his grace and um, we're so, so thrilled to be here today. Pastor Mark, I haven't got a chance to hug you yet. Don't even know where you're seated. How's it going? You look pretty normal, bro. So that's good, right? I know you're not feeling normal yet. But uh, Carol, don't let him leave before we find each other. So I can give him a hug. It's good to see you. And, um, continue to pray for Carrie and I know she's probably joining us live stream this morning and her family and also Karen Wong as she continues to recover from her surgery. We didn't know how Bob Lloyd's surgery was going to go this week, if we'd have him with us today or not, but he is here. So Bob, it's great to see you with Andy. We'll continue to pray for God to um, sustain you as strong as possible here. Sally Limpen is facing another major surgery. It will be almost two in as many months this week. And uh, we're not sure, humanly, if we're ready for that, but God knows. And, uh, so continue to pray uh, for Sally as well. Happy anniversary to the Tompkins. It's their 30th anniversary today. So congratulations to you guys. You're welcome to stand and take a bow. It's not often people clap for you <laughs> when you're center stage up front. <laughs> Anyways, congratulations to you folks. And um, We have, uh, how many of you served in the military? Could you raise your hand? Don't stand. Just, just raise your hand. All right. How many of you know of someone that's in the area, either relative or friend that served in the military? Would you raise your hand? Excellent. Uh, we, have, we have a tremendous um, speaker for this year's evangelistic outreach. Again, we prayed for our evangelistic outreach this morning. That's the emphasis of our prayer. Each of us has an opportunity. I did not serve, but I know a lot of people who did. I've already begun to invite these folks uh, for our outreach honor dinner coming up here in November. I would encourage you to prayerfully do the same, but put some hands and feet to it. We have invitations available. I would begin to call them, um, carve out time, maybe even attend with them. Uh, our speaker this year is a, is a longtime friend of mine. He's waiting imminently uh, for a call from uh, the Pentagon. He is uh, imminently about to receive and could receive before he even comes to speak. Uh, the office of being uh, among the eight highest um, uh, military directors in the spiritual realm. 
He's eight highest chaplains in the country. Um, if he gets this general position, there's only seven others that have that. Uh, besides uh, him, he's pastored for years. He continues to pastor in Colorado and serve uh, in the military as a chaplain. Um, he's been in the Pentagon and served. If he gets this position, uh, he'll be there more often. But he's got a great heart for people who need the Lord Jesus. Amen. And it'd be wonderful for you to hear him, to meet him, uh, so you know how to pray for him. And just, just be reminded that God has his people in every place to be light for him. And it's an opportunity for us to pray the Spirit of God will use him for Christ's sake right where uh, where he is, he is at. All right. Let's go to the book of John again. We're going to complete the overview of this book that we began uh, last week. Again, overviews are helpful. When we get that 50,000 foot perspective, it helps us with the structure of the book. It helps us with really the infrastructure of the book. It helps us with the main themes of the book so that when we go back and start to go through chapter by chapter, uh, it lends itself to more uh, easy understanding of the purpose of the author and how the Spirit of God wanted that author's audience to receive what they wrote. Uh, so overviews are very, very important, and I trust that these two weeks of overview will be helpful uh, to you. Who's the audience that John's writing to? It's primarily a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience that would have been very much influenced by the uh, Greek culture of the time. As a matter of fact, many of these Jews would have been Greek-speaking Jews. We have to understand that this is a gospel. What's gospel mean? It means good news. Good news about who? Jesus Christ. We have to understand that the majority of the people that John was writing to is very similar to the other three Gospels. These people were unsaved people. We have to understand that when, by the time you get to the book of Acts, through the rest of New Testament literature, the authors that wrote those church history books or letters were writing to primarily saved people, people that knew the Lord Jesus Christ, had been indwelt by the Spirit of God, and who were growing in Christ's likeness. But the gospel writers wrote, and uniquely John, wrote to people who were yet to be saved. And that really needs to be understood as we progress through the rest of the overview together. This was the earliest of the five books that the Apostle John wrote. He wrote much later than the previous three gospel writers, but yet it's the earliest of the five books that he wrote. Of course, if you're a newer believer, he also wrote three small letters at the end of the New Testament, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. There's some similarities and some dissimilarities between John's writing and the writings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John omits many of the words and actions of Jesus that are included in Matthew, 
Mark, and Luke. He omits a lot of Jesus' parables and exorcisms and the transfiguration, most of his healing miracles, and so forth. John's themes are different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, I don't think he he mentions the, the theme of the kingdom of God one time in these 21 chapters. But what is unique to John is chapters 1 through 5 of the book of John are all exclusively his, not discussed by the other gospel writers. The healing miracles of chapters 9 and 11 were exclusively stories of John's that he reported, Jesus' time in Jerusalem, and so forth. We mentioned last week that Jesus' ministry in the south, namely Judea and Samaria, were emphases of John, while the other writers wrote of Christ's ministry in Galilee. There are some similarities. The four Gospels, the Spirit anointing of Christ is mentioned among the four, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, of course. All four Gospels highlight Jesus' sonship to the Father, his authority, his drawing from nature, and his teaching. All of these things um, you can learn and continue to learn as you read just about any author that has written an overview on the book of John, or if you've taken any Great Lakes Bible Institute class. Um, And I would encourage you, I think, our overview of the Gospels, uh, our overview of the New Testament is available to you if you'd like to order those uh, links or those materials. You can continue to study uh, this data about the Gospel of John, among other New Testament books. But remember, we concluded last week by going to John chapter 20. So if you'll go over to John chapter 20, John's the only one of the four Gospels that actually stated the reason why he was writing. John chapter 20. And we're going to springboard again off of that text, do a little review, and then highlight some other structural and infrastructural things here to help us understand this book. So the next time we're together we can dive right into uh, chapter number one. Do you remember verse 30 and 31 of chapter 20? Therefore many other signs or miracles Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. As a matter of fact, if you go to the last verse of chapter 21, it kind of tells us how many there were. Chapter 21 and verse 25, and there were also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written. So if you go back up to verse 31, but these have been written, these signs, these miracles, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's an exclusive statement of purpose for everyone here this morning what john's doing with that exclusive statement of purpose is at least this he's telling us there's only two kinds of people in our world 
those who have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life through his name, and, and there are those who don't. It's really that simple. Only two kinds of people. He's also stating here at a 50,000 foot level that the church can't save. The church doesn't even exist at this particular point when John writes, so we know that can't be true. He's not saying that salvation is found through a religious leader. In history, he's not saying today that even a pastor or a priest could save you or forgive your sins. John's statement of purpose for why Jesus came and performed these miracles is that we could also say as we narrow down his purpose is that you might believe. That you might believe. Do you see that there? I think that's very personal. He doesn't say we. In his very exclusive statement of purpose, he's asking you to draw the circle around yourself and say, have I believed? And remember we said last week, that's not an intellectual belief. That's not, do I know a lot about Jesus? And do I even believe the historic facts about Jesus to be true? That's, that's not enough. It's not enough to just merely give intellectual assent that I agree with the facts of my pastor, teacher, or religious leader and what they have taught me about Jesus. It's not enough to, to believe that he was a historic literal religious leader that he was rabbi jesus and he had a he had a he had a purpose within the jewish community the first century and and i have no problem with all those things understanding and believing all those things is not the point and purpose of why john wrote his gospel it had to go beyond intellectual understanding of who the person of jesus is and he writes that you might believe. So drawing the circle around yourself, allowing the Spirit of God to just really investigate the intentions of your own heart and the reality of your own heart. Is it a believing heart or is it an unbelieving heart? When Jesus asks, when he speaks, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Have you believed that he is the Christ, the Son of God? And in believing, do you have life through his name alone? His exclusive name alone. Apart from church, religious leader, apart from family influence, apart from what you know intellectually about him to be true, has Jesus, has Jesus gone from an intellectual understanding in your mind and heart and have you surrendered your heart to him as the son of God? Have you believed in him and do you have life through his name because of that? Again, these signs were given, these miracles, and we highlighted those miracles together last week. But let's look a little bit more specifically at the signs being coupled with belief, the miracles being partnered with belief. Go back to chapter 2, John chapter 2. One author has said that a sign is an act of supernatural origin. A miracle is an act of supernatural origin with deep meaning behind it. 
And as, and as glorious as the, the miracles are that we're going to investigate as we study this book in specific that we'll look at just broadly this morning, as glorious as these miracles are, they're secondary in importance to Christ. We'll study that after these miracles and, and signs happen that they're often in the Gospel of John accompanied by a discourse of explanation of Jesus himself as to who he is and why he performed the miracle. So that those who are unbelieving yet, who have been eyewitnesses of the miracles, might understand fully who he is from his own mouth and so that they would have the opportunity to do what? To believe. In John chapter 2, Christ's first public ministry. And let's look at verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples did what? They believed in him. They believed in him. Go over to chapter number four where he heals the nobleman's son. This is where we cited last week that Jesus is the master over distance. Let's look at verse 46. John chapter 4 and verse 46 together. Therefore he came into Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum and when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and to heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless the people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And He was now going down. His slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was about the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed. And his whole household. This is a sign, a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Water to wine, people believe. A son healed who wasn't even present with Christ and a father. It's understood by the father and more believe. Let's go over to chapter 5 and let's look at verse 6. Verses 6 through 9 of chapter 5. And here's a man that's been lame for 38 years. 38 years. The whole of his lifetime. He's so crippled that he can't even walk himself to the pool of Bethesda to be dipped into it. Those were uh, rich mineral waters where often people found, um, they found them soothing to their joints and would find some measure of healing. And there was not even anyone well enough to pick him up, to take him, the text says, to, 
to put him into the waters. We find out from this miracle, as we said last week, that Jesus is the master over time. 38 years being crippled. No issue to Jesus. Atrophied muscles, calcified joints, stiff limbs. No problem for the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know this context. If you know your Bibles well, there's this strife with the Pharisees over this miracle being performed at an inopportune time, we could say, compared to the Jewish calendar and the certain day of the week it was. But Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. But verses 6 through 9 of the text reads, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk, and immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. This gave an opportunity for the Lord Jesus to proclaim to those who were there, including the religious leaders, his equality with God. Remember we said earlier, whenever there's a sign or a miracle performed, Jesus takes the opportunity to address those who are in unbelief. And he does so in this particular situation to the religious leaders who are in unbelief by explaining his oneness with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. And at the end of this little discourse in verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Go over to chapter 6 and verse 14. Chapter 6 and verse 14. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you know that story well. With food left over for everyone to take home with them, he says in verse 14, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Recognition of his person and surrender of their will to understanding of who his person is. And they're saved. Chapter 6 and verse 29. We're familiar with Christ's walking on the water. The text tells us that immediately they happen to be on shore. A little tidbit shared by John, maybe not shared by others. We find out from this miracle that Jesus is master over nature. But what's the conclusion? In verse number 29, Jesus answered, John chapter 6, and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the purpose for the miracles and signs that he performed. Go over to John chapter 9. This is where Jesus heals the blind man from birth. The text tells us that 
unto this time there's no written document giving proof that anyone in history in any culture had ever been healed from blindness Jesus is the first and it was quite an amazing situation here as a matter of fact this particular Miracle also called, and I'll use a, a Jewish word of confusion and chaos, it, it caused mayhem. It caused mayhem among the religious leaders. Again, because it was performed on a day that they thought miracles should not be performed. So their unbelief has been stirred to anger once again. They involve the young man's parents. Do you believe that this rabbi that's healed your son is Jesus the Christ and the parents because they know if they agree they're going to be put out of the synagogue so the parents say I'm not going to answer that go talk to my kid <laughs> it happened to him and, and he'll give you what, what he believes and, and that's actually what they do go talk to the son again who is of age and apparently at least 13 years old or older, he's able to answer for himself. And what does he tell them? He says, I already told you. Why are you asking again? So they did put him out of the synagogue. And what does he say? In John chapter 9, verses 35 to verse 38 Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered who is he Lord that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you that'll send chills up your spine And he said, Lord, what? I believe. Can I just stop real quick and try to make eye contact with everyone in the auditorium? Do you believe? Amen. And then it says he worshipped him. Verse 39, and Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not may see and that those who see may become blind those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him we are not blind too are we something's going on inside their minds and hearts isn't it Jesus said to them if you were blind you would have no sin but since you say we see your sin remains powerful words there of the Lord Jesus that we'll discuss in time as we go through the book. But you remember chapter 11, Christ's final sign, really, of the book of John and the raising of his friend Lazarus from the dead. We pointed out last week that the word believe is mentioned four times in verses 25 to 27. By the time you get to verse 45, I draw your attention there this morning. 
where it says, Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Final sign, same result. Many have believed. Some of you say, well, there's not many signs or miracles being done on earth anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ is no longer with him, with us, performing these miracles. So how are we supposed to believe? How are we supposed to engage people who have an intellectual assent to the person of Jesus Christ and his historic reality, but have yet to submit their wills to who he is as the Son of God? What do we do? I would submit to you that seated around you this morning are hundreds of miracles. If you're here this morning and you have no problem with who the Lord Jesus Christ was in history, but he's not yet your Lord, and you're saying, I really don't need him as Lord because I'd have no problem with who he is, and why do I need him? I would just ask you to consider maybe the person that's sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. And maybe if you know anyone here at some point in their life, you know their life changed. In our room this morning are former pretty renowned drug dealers in Lake County. Former prostitutes, strippers, alcoholics. People with filthy mouths, horrible language, uncontrolled tempers. All in the room this morning. But that's what they used to be. How did that happen? From the mouth of Jesus. In the Gospels, we, we find out that an equally greater, greatest of miracles that could be performed is when someone who has no problem with understanding intellectually who Jesus is realizes that they're lost. Someone who's viewed in the community as maybe a good parent or a, a good grandparent or an excellent worker or a philanthropic leader and someone who just really exudes common grace because they're, they're made an image of God and they really have no problem with going to church and being religious and making sure their family's taken care of and the bills are paid for and there's food on the table and there, there's a roof over their heads and I get up and I go to work and I show up early and I stay late and I am a pillar in my community in all of these domestic and vocational and philanthropic ways, and I still believe that Jesus existed, Jesus says the person that is like that, that lives that way, that actually realizes, that even though aside from all their goodnesses, that all of their good deeds are as filthy rags in God's sight until they submit their mind and their will to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and then he changes the way they live and gives them a new why as to why they're doing all of those good and excellent things. Only God 
can bring that kind of change to a life. All of these people here are given to us as miracles of God's grace so that you might believe. No man can change life permanently like God does and like God can. Do you believe? I'm reminded of Peter's words in his first letter. Blessed are those who having not seen Christ but yet still what? Believe. We don't have to be an eyewitness of him as these Greek-speaking Jews and his disciples were that John writes to to be able to see his greatness, his majesty, and his power. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's really the only reason you're here this morning, isn't it? That's the only reason that compels you to get up and to come worship him is because you desire to give him praise that's due his name because of the miracle that he performed in your own heart. You change the way you live. And he performed these miracles, not only that people would believe, but that belief must include who he was. Who he was. We mentioned last week that 93 times in the book of John alone, the word believe is meant over one-third of the usage of the, of the word believe are used in this 21-chapter book. So certainly belief is a focus, but they must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Go with me back to John chapter 1 and verse 34. Let's just highlight these places where Jesus is recognized as the Son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 34. John the Baptist testifies, I myself have seen and have testified this is the Son of God. Jump down a little bit farther in chapter 1 and verse 49. Philip has found, been asked of Christ to follow him. He recognizes Christ as the son of God, and he goes after Nathaniel and says, you've got to come meet this guy. And Nathaniel says, what good comes out of Nazareth? Can't be anything good coming out of there, that, that little town that was dominated by Roman authority and became somewhat of a military base, if you will, for the Roman army, for their training. And, and uh, we know not, not, not all Jews had a real good taste in their mouth for the existence of the Roman Empire, and particularly their military. What good can come out of Nazareth? So Philip says the smartest thing that anyone could say, well, if you're not going to believe me, come and see for yourself. Come and see. That's verse 46. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And all Jesus is meaning by that is, yeah, I recognize Nathaniel's a purist. 
He wants the whatsoever things are true about the whole situation. He wants to see it for himself. Just the facts, ma'am, please. (laughs) Kind of guy. Philip knew that, so come and see. And Jesus recognized that in his omniscience. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Teacher, you you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel recognized the omniscience of Christ, and he recognized that omniscience could only be identified to the God of heaven. And so when he sees Jesus, and Jesus recognizes that Jesus saw him before he met him. He says, yeah, I have no problem. You're you're the son of God. What Philip said, I'm good. I'm good. Go over to chapter 6 with me. It's a powerful passage, the whole book. Again, we have the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus walking on the water, and then a discourse to follow both. the end in this very very long chapter in verse 66 we read of Peter's confession of faith and remember at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 and this walking of the water and and people gathering and following Christ because of his growing popularity Jesus turns to that crowd and asks them some very very explicit questions those questions that he asked them caused the majority of the crowd to walk away they would not believe in who he was as the son of God but his disciples remain and verse 66 says as a result of this ministry many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore so Jesus turned to the 12 disciples you do not want to go away also do you he asks in verse 68 Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go Only you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Speaking of Judas, verse 71 explains, The son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. people see these signs and these miracles they either believe in who he is and who he says he is or they walk away this is really not difficult to understand those who choose to believe and they surrender their mind their will and their emotions to him and they submit to his lordship they walk with him and and that walk becomes a way of life and that way of life is completely distinguishable from an even a moralistic person and the way they live apart from Christ. Just look at the life. Look at the life and examine a miracle. 
And then, of course, chapter 20 and verse 31, these things have I written, these signs that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But before we get there, chapter 11, the final miracle and the final, really, declaration outside John's statement of the purpose in chapter 20. Chapter 11 and verse 27. Here's Martha. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed. This is before Lazarus is raised from the dead, mind you. But that's coming. I believe that you are the Christ, the, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha knew. She declared. And again, I would ask, have you? As we wrap up this morning, I want to point out to you one more simple way to um, more easily understand why or how John wrote. The book really has, in its stated theme, two major sections to this gospel. These things have I written unto you that you might believe. That's really section number one. It takes in history three years of time. Three years of time for us to be able to see that first part of his stated purpose. That's really chapters 1 through 11. These things have I written unto you that you might believe. That's chapters 1 through 11. Three years of time. Then chapters 12 through 17 is the next major portion of the book, which really uh, is the fulfillment of the second part of the statement of the theme in chapter 20 and verse 31. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you might have life through his name. That's really chapters 12 through 17, and that covers three days of time. Chapters 1 through 11, three years. Chapters 12 through 17, three days of time. And I would tell you of any gospel writer, if you just planted yourself in chapters 12 through 17 for some time, you would have a, a, a master class given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on how to live through the highest and the lowest times of your life. Chapters 12 through 17 is really what we would understand to be comprised primarily of the upper room discourse. So in some apartment, in some flat, in some room, in some house, the Lord Jesus Christ gets his own aside and on a consistent basis for 72 hours, he just teaches them how precious life in him is. In chapter 13, he describes the intimacy of Christ's service to us. In chapter 14, he, he speaks about the ultimate comfort that he brings, but there's even someone just like him, the Holy Spirit, that's going to come, that, they will, that will be in them and indwell them, that they will enjoy the ministry of the Spirit. He tells them in chapter 14 that 
There's going to be eternal reward for suffering, and it might get rough for you here now, but embrace the precious promises of God and the, and the eternal favor that he's given to you as you've recognized, as you've believed and recognized me as the, as the Son of God. In chapter 15, he discusses what it means to intimately abide with Christ. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, I would say as we, we focus on the letters of the New Testament, which we should and often do, and we will continue to do, that I would put right alongside the how to live in the letters of the New Testament, John chapter, John, the Gospel of John chapters 12 to 17. Just plant there. And if you believe, you'll know how to persevere just through the study of those chapters. There is a prologue, there is an epilogue, obviously the early parts of chapter 1 and the final chapters of the Gospel of John, the theological prologue, introducing Christ and his nature and who he is and why he came, and then finally his, his, uh, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection, which is really the content of the Gospel at the end of the book, but the major parts of the book Really, there's a hinge really between uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12 from three years of public ministry to three days of private ministry that is good for our understanding and our learning. Go to John chapter 16 and even uh, within the gospel itself, there's a restatement of the structure of this book that I think is fascinating that one theologian pointed out and I'd like to just kind of Focus on this again so you understand the structure and the infrastructure of this book and the purpose why it's written. John chapter 16, and let's look at verse 28 together. Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Really, folks, I came forth from the Father. That's chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 of this book. I came forth from the Father. Chapter 1, verses 19. I have come into the world. And that takes us all the way through chapter 12. Chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 12. I have come into the world. Chapters 13 through 19, I am leaving this world. And this is how you will be comforted. Chapters 20 and 21, I am again going to the Father. So right in the middle of this book, I think there's a nice little one-verse outline from chapter 1 to chapter 21 for us. And you can write that in the margin of your Bible, if you wish. So again, how personal does the Lord Jesus want this message of this book to be to you? As an unbeliever, he gives three years of his public ministry for you to see. Three years and multiple miracles for you to see that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God himself in flesh. If you've seen me, he says you've seen the Father. And for those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us three days of intimate fellowship 
to teach us what having life in his name really is and what it looks like and how joyful that can be even in the most difficult of times. How personal does he want this to be? I would just ask you to write down chapter 21 verses 18 to 25 and a little discussion that Jesus has with Peter at the end of the book. Peter tries to draw attention to the disciple whom Jesus loves. It's kind of a cute little story how John writes about himself and this little interaction between Christ and Peter and John. And, 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 and Peter says, well, what about the disciple who Jesus loved? That's how John refers to himself in humility throughout the book. And Jesus turns back to Peter and he says, what is his life to you? In other words, mind your own business. You walk with God. You enjoy the life I've given you. And I'll take care of John. So really, chapters 12 to 17 and that upper room discourse, that's really for you, personally. Long before it is for us publicly. Go over with me to 1 John chapter 5. Last text we'll look at and we'll pray. Again, this is the second of five little, five portions of scripture that, that John wrote. And, and I want to I point out to you, to those of you who really Jesus is speaking to in chapters 1 through 11 of the Gospel of John, those who know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him yet, and so your life hasn't been fully changed by him yet. Jesus isn't Lord yet. I want to just give you a stated repurpose as to why John wrote what he wrote anywhere in the scriptures. And it's in a very short verse, in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 5, and he makes it so simple. We all know from last week he wrote the most simply of any New Testament author. And, and he writes this verse using only one-syllable words. And he says this, He who has the Son has the life. And he who, does, who does not, he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And we either have him or we don't. Again, if you don't examine the, the miracles seated around you this morning and Maybe if you don't know anyone here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet, I'm confident that the Lord's probably put in your path outside of this place someone who's been changed by Jesus. Amen. If you're a friend of theirs, ask them out to coffee and learn their story. Learn from their story. And say, I knew you at this point, but you're different now. Could you tell me why? I know you're worshiping at this church and I always see you studying your Bible and I see you bowed in prayer all by yourself sometimes. You never used to do that. Just go find them and ask them how that happened. The most powerful way to understand who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God is to examine the life of someone else he's changed. The Lord's allowed me to develop a really, really good relationship with the um, head football coach at the University of Indiana. His name's Tom Allen. And because my son plays college football and 
he coaches college football and we got connected uh, through time apparently he grew up uh, in the area where my wife grew up in Indiana he's from Newcastle Indiana and knew the Lord Jesus as a savior went off to Christian school Christian college and made it into the college coaching ranks he is a passionate believer and loves the Lord and we've been talking a lot lately and uh, he happened to coach against my son yesterday after the game was over um, they found each other on the field and gave each other a big old hug and I noticed Tom kissed Noah on the cheek and gave him some spiritual words of encouragement and said keep on keeping on well Tom texted me this morning I texted him last night said thanks for greeting Noah there's a huge encouragement on the field because you got two light bulbs in the midst <laughs> and they kind of need each other at those times but he texted me this story just this morning this wasn't in my notes and you can tell I was done preaching on time but I had to add this because it was it was in my notes from earlier and, and um, this is not a matter of uh, private but, but Tom texted me this morning and he said I just got to tell you this blessing um, he said I appreciate you I'm praying that God will continue to use him on the team and on his campus uh, we have uh, one life and it soon will pass only what's done for Christ will last he said I want to share a praise with you a few weeks ago we had a guest speaker into our locker room um, from an evangelistic group on campus and after he gave a motivational challenge we gave anyone a chance to leave that didn't want to stay for the spiritual one and he said no one left in capital letters and when he was done over 35 players stood up and committed their lives to Christ we now have lots of follow up to do pray for these young men as we seek to disciple them we are overwhelmed with God's goodness and drawing them to him. He said that was our first big win of the season. Amen. Right? Amen. And he said we want to build for the name of Jesus. That was so encouraging. And that came to me as I'm reviewing my notes for this morning's message and just explaining why we live the way we live, why we preach the way we preach so that people would might see the miracle of God's grace in us. That's why we prayed at the beginning for our outreach into the community. That's why we're always seeking to be light bulbs for the Son of God in our community. That other people might believe and know him and have life through his name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have just to look at the depth and the breadth of inspired scripture as given to us in this gospel and I certainly pray that unbelief would be influenced by your spirit to believe this morning that Jesus is God surrender their life to their creator and have a changed life all the blessings that come along with that in Christ Jesus for thus who Know the Lord Jesus, I pray that the study through this book would have its intended purpose as the Lord Jesus' purpose in chapters 12 to 17 with his own. In Christ's name, amen.